When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Futurati Podcast. Any member of the Futurati is somebody who believes in the power of the future. We know there's a better world ahead, and we indeed have the power to make it so. In our podcast, we talk to the best minds in the world about the most urgent problems facing mankind today, and we hope you learn as much from them as we do. I'm Thomas Fry, a professional futurist and keynote speaker. And I'm Trent Fowler, a machine learning engineer and author. Thank you for joining us. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Futurati Podcast. Tonight, we're joined by Seth Levine. Seth is a professional institutional investor and creator of the Integrating Investor website. Seth uses the Integrating Investor to explore more abstract investment ideas that result from his varied experiences and studies. If you enjoyed this interview, please don't forget to like the episode and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out our new website, futuratipodcast.com. Seth, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a blast. Absolutely. Uh, let's hear a little bit about your background, your interests, and what brought you to working on the problems that you're working on today. Sure. Uh, I'll give you the long story, the short story. Uh, I'll probably take, I'll take the middle road here. So um, yeah, I've been a professional investor for, um, you know, uh, coming up on, tw- you know, just under 20 years or so. Um, and uh, I got into this business, um, you know, my, in my early 20s. Um, I was an uh, engineer before that. And um you know, just kind of came in green without a real background and kind of learned every, you know, was learning the business on the fly. And, you know, right around, and, you know, I started off, I started off in the equities business. Um, and then I moved over to the fixed income world. Um, I had a seat um, kind of at a big bulge bracket bank covering bonds during the financial crisis. So I was like literally like at ground zero for right. the financial crisis. And, um, you know, a few years later, you know, we started getting all these very, uh, you know, uh, large central bank interventions, uh, I'm sorry, interventions in the economy. And it was for the, really for the first time, first time ever. And it just started, it just peaked in interest. You know, what's going on here? Uh, why are all these interventions? And, you know, there were a lot of bold predictions that were out at the time specifically like what will happen with inflation and the dollar and markets and the economy and really none of those predictions bore out. So it just kind of, you know, kind of like sparked a little interest. Like, Hey, like what is really going on here? Um, why aren't these playing out? Why, why isn't the policy doing what the policies, um, you know, supposed to do? Why isn't the, you know, uh, the negative impacts, why aren't they, there, like all the all the um, people on the other, you know, all the critics are suggesting. Um, so, just started getting into central banks at at that point, and then I really got into kind of economics and just, you know, it was like a whole a whole wor- wormhole from there. Um, so, still working. Um, you know, I've been still kind of been in this investor role, um, and um, around uh, I don't know three four years ago or so, I ended up just starting a blog as a vehicle really to um, to really explore those ideas. 
uh, kind of in a, in a non-work way in a sense. And, you know, been been writing ever since then. I started, uh, you know, I have a, a YouTube show that I do every Friday uh, for the past couple months. And the, that's really my vehicle for exploring these investment ideas and really just untangling the cobwebs that are in my head related to a lot of these concepts and also really just trying to create my own investment process. So it's really been a a, a path of um, kind of self, um, not exploration, but self-exploration to a certain extent, but also really of, of just of, of, of educating myself um, as it relates to investing in economics. Yeah. So how much do you, how much do you dabble in the crypto world then? <laughs> well, dabble is, uh, is, I've done nothing more than dabble. Um, I've been around the crypto hoop, as I like to put it. Uh, probably since uh, 2011, I was interested in it like pretty early. I didn't, you know, I'm not a crypto millionaire, right? So I did not, I did not buy um, a lot. I did have an interesting trading experience that I will, um, that I'll share here if you're interested. But Please. I was, I was drawn into the crypto world because of the politics of it all. Like I am a, I'm very much a free market guy. I call myself a laissez-faire capitalist, um, and. You know, I think there should be free, you know, free, unregulated money, and, and Bitcoin was going to be that, right? Bitcoin was kind of pitched at that at the time, so I got really interested in it. Started, started, you know, kind of following it, kind of listening to the podcasts. Um, was kind of in that early crypto world. Um, finally, I just kept watching it, and then I remember, um, <laughs> I remember, I was like, you know, it was, it was Bitcoin at the time was like five hundred bucks. I was like, you know what, like this thing is getting shot up. And it ran from like 500 to like a thousand. I was like, man, like that's crazy. Like this is, <laughs> this seems like a bubble. Right. So I'm like, you know what? Like let me just buy a little bit just to, just to understand it. Right. Just to, just to have an interest in it and just as a way to kind of learn and tinker a little bit with. So I bought a very small amount, like, like minuscule amount. Um, and like literally like a couple of weeks later, like the whole thing just crashed. It crashed down to like $250 or something like that. And it was big, it was a big lesson to me. And I think there's, you know, potentially an analogy now is the the um that was when china first started to clamp down on on crypto right um and that just made me realize like you know what this is not what i thought it was like this things over like in china like the regulatory environment in china like can impact your trading PL, right so let me so what is going on here so that was kind of my first skeptical um position i took uh in crypto and it's been you know yeah, made you know a little bit more. Made like a small, small little, uh, small amount of money. But you know, as of now, um, you know, I've been in and out a little bit over the past couple of years. You know, as of now, I own no crypto. Uh, I have dabbled with in the past, but I really that was my first experience in sort of diving into crypto. And I and I've I formed a you know, really over the years, I've really formed a very nuanced and different view than I had at the start of it. So it's been a, it's been a pretty interesting experience for me. Well, let's uh, let's get into that then. What what is the nuanced yeah. and different view of crypto that you have? Yeah, so my nuanced of crypto view, and I'm not going to say versus anyone else. I'm going to say maybe versus my initial uh, my initial um, perception of crypto um, really comes back to actually uh, my trading framework that I've really developed as as really just very recently as a or I should say honed very recently as a result of of blogging. Um, and that um, I think I published I published that article so you can go and, and read it. And I think that's uh, I think that was my Nove- November of last year, November 2020 article. My website is the integrating investor dot com. Uh, I think it's uh, I, I think the article is like how I process 
you know, trade ideas or something like that. And I actually wrote an article about that too with Bitcoin. And I think that is that's entitled like deconstructing Bitcoin zeal into investable theses. I think I published that was either January or, or something like that. I, I, you know, around that time frame. I, I publish once a month, so it's it's pretty easy to it's pretty easy to find. But um, so really, I've been able to break Bitcoin and really all crypto and re- really all asset trading in general. But let's specifically stick with Bitcoin. Down into two types of trades. I have what I call a value trade and a momentum trade. Now I use it a little bit differently. You know, these these have these have meaning in sort of the quantitative investing world, which is not my background, by the way. Um, but I really see it as value trade being the sort of, you know, what intrinsic value or what is the real value proposition, the utility value of crypto, right? So what is the utility value of Bitcoin? Why would you, own, why would someone want to own Bitcoin? Let's keep it Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, right? Why do you want to own this? What is the sort of intrinsic value? What are the cash flow potentials or dynamics surrounding that that investment instrument because ultimately investing is about making money from money so it really has to come down to how are you going to make money right off off of this right it's very specific investing so that's one that's that's sort of the value um trade to it and early on i was very much in that value trade like this is going to revolutionize the world um, Bitcoin is going, you know, is going to get adopted, and it's going. It's great technology, um, you know, all the kind of the fintech, um, kind of the fintech spin, and I still see that. Like I still see that fintech spin on crypto as being the value proposition of crypto. Right. So that's one leg of the trade, one type of trade. The other type that I've been more focused on recently has been what I'll call momentum, right? And really it's just trend, right? We, we could, there's different types of momentum, uh, but but we don't need to get into that here, but think of it as basically trend, right? Is the, is the price going higher or is the price going lower based upon the direction that it's moving, right? And that's how I've been able to really get my head around crypto lately is do I think people are going to buy it and bid it up? Like simple as that. Yeah. For whatever reason, our institutions coming, or our you know, our our, our central bankers going to own it, our our more retail going to own it, our ETF buyers, whatever the reason, our is this price trend going to persist? Momentum, is this price going to change direction? Value, right? That's kind of the way how I think of it. So. You know, I've been more focused recently in crypto from a momentum perspective because I faded on the value. Um, now, I, that doesn't mean that I don't think there will be potential value uh, in the future, but my personal expectation for it is significantly lower than it was uh, 10 years ago. Um, and that a big part of that, too, is because I've been waiting. To, it's like waiting for for Godot, like where where, you know, Bitcoin is not a crypto even. It's not really a nascent technology anymore. Like it's still new. But it's been around for you know for over ten years at this point, right? So where is the adoption, right? And versus, I'm not an expert on this, but versus my own kind of initial value, you know, utility value perspective, I would have expected kind of more utility. Yeah, it seems very much that it's mostly being used for trading now, which is fine. But that means I have to switch over for, to a momentum framework to trade it. Right, and I can't have that value framework still right because there's they're not there's an inconsistency there and that's just it's messed with my mind right so if if amazon and walmart and a few of the other big retailers started accepting 
Bitcoin, uh, would that change your thinking on it? As a payment system? Right. You mean like were they using uh, probably, yeah. I think so. It would have to be more than just, you know, the odds and, and it would have to be more than just uh, you know, a few retailers here here and there. It would have to be um well, hold on. Let me let me let me take a second. It's not binary. Those would those would definitely make me give me more confidence in in the utility value um leg of the trade. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So if um if if banks started accepting deposits of Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum, does that that creates more utility and that would increase the utility value in your mind? Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, that would make that utility value thesis um, stronger. Yeah. And so, and so if you could go down to your mortgage company and you could have a choice between getting a crypto loan for a house or getting a U.S. dollar loan for a house, um, does that also increase the utility value in your mind? Yeah. Anytime, anytime you are using, you know, I mean, utility value, right? Anytime the, anytime cryptocurrencies are proving to have a value other than, in my view, pure speculation, right? They are actually providing a service uh, or they are a good, like that is, you know, that is a good or service that is increasing its, its, okay. its utility value. Yeah. It could be in anything. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not a futurist here. You know, I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to speculate. Um, you know what it could be used in, in, but you know, if these are financial service tools, right? These are you know specifically, right? Um, so if they were being used in those in those circumstances, like that, increases its utility value for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's worth making a distinction between the crypto assets and the underlying blockchain technology. And in in right. a lot of, in the minds of a lot of people, they're just one and the same. It's just the same one two words for the, the the same underlying phenomenon. But that's not the case. And I think you're right. I, I think that many of us have been surprised and perhaps a bit disappointed in the fact that most crypto assets, Bitcoin, uh, perhaps most of all, ha has primarily been used as an instrument of speculation. Um, but I, I think that it's worth maintaining the distinction between the blockchain and the crypto assets and the blockchain technology, I, I believe still has just tons and tons of potential. And it sounds like you would, you would largely agree with that, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's just, it's worth, it's worth bearing in mind that it's still very early days. I mean, I, I doubt that uh, the internet that grew out of the early ARPANET would have been very impressive in 75 or 76. Right. Uh, sure. it, you know, it, I mean, so much so that Paul Krugman famously predicted that the internet wasn't really going to have much of an impact at all. It was going to have you know less of an impact than the fax machine, and uh, well, it it didn't. That that was wrong. No, that that was wrong. Um, so so um, I, I I'm excited both by crypto assets and by blockchain, but I do hope that as time goes on and it matures a little bit, you'll see more and more use of it as a you know, medium of exchange as an actual payment system. And there are people doing that. I mean, there are hardcore Bitcoin enthusiasts who do pay for things. Uh, they even have a uh, Bitcoin credit cards that you get interest back in Bitcoin and stuff. I'm going to look into that later. So I think it is evolving in that direction, but people were so excited by the magic internet money and the fact that it just goes up in value so much. And the, the, the volatility is part of what draws people in. I think if, if you just buy at the right time and you liquidate at the right time, I mean, you, you can 400% your money and Lambos, you know? Yeah, exactly. The, the Lambo money, the, the magic yeah. uh, Lambo money. Yeah. I think that's a good distinction too. And um, you know, another way how I've evolved my investment thinking, I mean, again, this is all, these are all evolved ideas that 
are new to me. I mean, they may not be new to other people, but they're new to how I have really had to think about investing as I've gone on through this kind of personal journey, I guess, um, is that you could still, like, I have no problem owning Bitcoin for the utility value, but I had to scale that investment to prop, in my view, properly match my expectations. Right. And what I think what you see in the crypto community, and this is, I mean, again, it's a very large, it's a very large pool, but there are definitely people out there who I think are just, they're miscalibrated on the potential, call it time frame, right? Or something like that, right? So maybe if it's internet 19, you know, 1975, like if you went all in internet 1975, like that wasn't a good use of money, right? right. Um, you know, a, a good investment, right? You had to, you had to kind of wait until the, the value, you know, until the, the, until kind of the facts of reality kind of bore out your value thesis in a sense, and then you could scale your trade with, with your conviction. So that's, that's really what it is for me. It's about scaling the trades and specifying what types of trades and theses that I'm doing with my, with my conviction level. Absolutely. And I just lost over time. I've sort of lost the conviction in the, the amount of conviction in the value trade. I go back to like 2011. I was like, magic, like, like, you know, laissez-faire money. Like I'm all in, like, that is awesome. Like, like this, that's a personal opinion. Like that is awesome. Uh, however, you know, I was clearly wrong. My enthusiasm at the time was not matched by the facts of reality because it wasn't really being used for, ma- for, for, for the purpose that I was sort of interested in. So it's really just kind of this mental exercise of trying to trying to cal- uh, calibration is like the great word, right? How do I calibrate my investing to my observations and my theses and just keep it all consistent just so I know, right? Like we're humans and, su- and, and, and just, um, you know, we, we can fall prey to biases so easily um, that we, you know, for me, I'm just, I'm trying to just trying to get better at that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the guy that spent 10,000 Bitcoin to buy that pizza early on, <laughs> you know, he felt initially victorious that he was able to actually buy something with it. And then later, yeah, he probably went out and shot himself, but uh, <laughs> that, that's a whole different yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. It's funny too. Cause I've even have had over the years, like, um, like I've changed my view of money pretty recently. Um, and I'm actually like in like, I don't know, like, uh, like a five, six part, uh, podcast show, show on my channel of just really exploring money. Like I've rethought like this whole idea of money and even bringing this back to crypto. Like I think having fixed asset is just a terrible, it's terrible for money. Like a fixed amount of money. So like a fixed amount of Bitcoin is actually like a terrible design for money, you know, and that's changed as my, my my understanding or my thesis theory of money has really changed over time because I'm, again, I'm sort of anti fiat, right? I, I, you know, people would probably consider me Austrian. I, I, I I'm not totally Austrian, but uh, definitely very sympathetic to a lot of Austrians and like specifically like von Mises, for example. Right. Um, so I, you know, I'm not a fan of fiat money. I think it's, I think the, I think the history of fiat money is, is very poor. I mean, there's been something like 150, you know, fiat currencies out in the world. Like none of them really have, have persisted. Uh, you know, obviously we, you know, we, we have our modern slate, but again, 30 years or so, 
oh, sorry, I guess more than 30 years, almost, you know, 50, 50 years is, is not a lot of time in monetary history. Are you, um, are you talking about since we since they severed the connection to the, the gold standard in the United States? Oh, uh, correct, yeah. Right, that yeah, was 71 yeah. and Nixon? Correct, right, yeah. Okay. So, seven, so, yeah, so 1971, um, you know, the world ended the Brenton Woods Agreement, right? The Brenton Woods Agreement was this kind of quasi-gold standard that um, that all the major currencies were pegged to. So that would be like a hard money standard. You know, right. it was, you know, we'll call it the gold gold standard. It was, you know, I think that's debatable whether or not it was, but it wasn't pure fiat currency. We have pure fiat currency now. So the problem with fiat currency is that it's not tied to anything in reality, right? There's no basis for it in reality. So it's really just, you know, you know, it gets it gets conjured, right, by by the monetary authorities, and then people go use it, um, right? But there's no, and that's about it, right? So right. when you look there's at the nothing currencies, else. yeah, there's nothing else. Yeah, there's nothing else to it, right? And you know what's happened over what's happened historically is that the monetary authorities abuse that power. They make way too much money, right? The, they expand the money supply so much that the money itself just becomes worthless over time. Uh, yeah. See, a, a national currency has an obligation to the people it serves uh, within a certain country, within the borders of that country. And uh, cryptocurrencies don't have an obligation um, to any specific group. And so they're, the people that control that currency for a country, um, they they try to manipulate the currency to 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 get it to better serve the people of that country and that's where things get out of control when they try to amp things up they turn all the dials and flip the switches and everything and that's when it gets out of control i i keep thinking in terms of let's ratchet this forward you know 50 years and and we're on the starship enterprise flying from the earth to mars you know, what's the economy on that spaceship and how does that get operated and who's who's pulling the switches up there? Um, and that's when none of the things we talk about on Earth make sense anymore. <laughs> hey, I was told as a kid that we'd have flying cars by now and, and we don't. I'm, I'm 41, so, um, you oh, know, we do, we do we're, have we're flying cars. <laughs> Actually, the first flying car was the Curtis Air Car back in 1917. I mean, it was never... Right. Reliable or anything, but, um, yeah. <laughs> Which is um, it's something you want in a means of conveyance is is you know, to, you know the, a guarantee that it's not going to explode or fall out of the sky. Right, right. But anyway, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. So like as it relates to currency, so then I I saw Bitcoin as like you know if you go back and you read the early, you know I mean you you could read the you know the white paper on right. it. I mean there there is this, and even before them there were the the the, the the cipher, uh, the you know, the whole cyberpunk uh, movement, um, and you know that was a that was a hard money that was motivated by hard money, right? And by hard money, you know, kind of a commodity based money, right? And um, so you know, the whole uh, Bitcoin was supposed to simulate that with with a fixed with a fixed money supply, um, and you know, it was supposed to be deflationary and. You know, I just don't think that, you know, I, so I thought that was great at first because, again, the gold standard, if you look back at history, um, the gold standard performed, you know, it has takes a lot of, you know, takes a lot of flack. But the gold standard really performed quite well, right? If you look back into these, uh, quote unquote, kind of free banking histories throughout, throughout, um, sorry, free banking periods throughout history, there have been a number of them. And they've been small, right? Because, yep. you know, um, you know, to your point, uh, Tom, 
you know, the manipulation of money by sovereigns is as old as, you know, it's as old a story as, as money itself. Right. Right. Um, you know, even go back to like Rome, right? And I'm always, I, I love the Roman example, but I'm going to screw I'm going to screw this up. So if there are any kind of Roman, <laughs> uh, you know, R- Roman history buffs out there, please don't please don't hold it against me. But you know, like Rome had uh, this the you know their coin, I think it was a denarius, right? Yep. And it was like, you know, under Nero, it was it was you know, which is like you know you know, you know right around kind of you know I think it was like 27 BC or something like that, right? It was like almost purely silver. And then, like, you, you fast forward a couple hundred years, and it's like, uh, like o- almost no silver in it anymore, right? And com- it's completely been stolen by the by the by the monetary authorities. And even though that was a hard currency, right, it was still kind of silver backed. It was still able to be kind of inflated away and stolen by by the sovereign. So I'm very, so I'm very sy- sympathetic to to the whole. I'm very sympathetic to a private money kind of mechanism. And if you look back at free banking, right, there are these periods of, they're called free banking periods. They're not quite free, but they're significantly right. freer than what we have today. And, uh, you know, the, the the foremost experts on these that I know of are, are George Selgin yep. and um, Larry White. Yep. Um, and they they note a couple um, not- notable periods throughout history. Um, you have the antebellum U.S., um, where it was like fairly unregulated or, or, or shouldn't even say it was still very heavily regulated, but it was easy to start a bank in a sense versus, you know, relative to today. You have um, areas like Scotland in like the, in the 1700s that were free. Canada had a very, or, you know, freer, I should say. Canada had a very kind of laissez hands off. I don't, I don't want to use the word free too much hand at banking. And what you found is that when you put the whole, when you put the, management of supply of money into the private hands they performed quite well actually i mean they weren't perfect they weren't perfect and and again if you go back to to selgin and and white's work they often will point out that a lot of the times the regulations were to blame yeah um and you know get into that if you like but um you know the, the the crux of it is that you know i was very excited about kind of a a, a private money um but kind of looking at these time periods like I think it needs to, you need to have something that is um, both tied to reality, right? Tied to the real world and also able to expand with the real world because um, I'm going to quote, you know, one of my favorite um, kind of economic thinkers, John Tamney, um, as he puts it, you know, money, money is a veil, right? And right, money is really just an abstraction uh, that's supposed to represent kind of goods and services that you've produced and will consume in the future and it's this trading mechanism so if you if you cap the amount of money in an economy in a sense you're capping the amount of production in an economy and to me that's very that's you know very undesirable right we want production to expand so if production expands right now and everyone's standards of living is going up um, and wealth is going up the money needs to be able the money needs to reflect that somehow so how does how would a you know how would a bitcoin reflect um, a rise in production. I mean, the only way, I mean, it can't, the money supply can't expand. So, you know, the price would have to go up and that then basically your cost of production is getting more expensive. And yeah, well, that, the, the, the thinking you know, is that Bitcoins can subdivide and uh, into a, each one can subdivide into a hundred million bits. And uh, that right, theoretically. But right. But what does that mean? That just means Bitcoin's getting more expensive. Right. Yeah, but it can it can 
become a, a much greater um, amount of money that gets passed around. Uh, so it's not a finite, I mean, if you're dealing with uh, quarters and nickels, I mean, you can't break them in half and give them to somebody. Uh, so, and um, yeah. same, same with micropayments micro that didn't yeah, work. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't buy that argument because again, okay, so I could keep breaking Bitcoin down, but then, but so what? So then let's say, let's just, let's use fiat terms, right? So let's say one Bitcoin right now is, I don't know, let's call it $50,000. So what happens if, you know, you know, uh, you know, a Satoshi then becomes $50,000, right? Then, well, then what's the price of one Bitcoin then, right? Like that Bitcoin just went up by, you know, what is it, 10 to the six power or something yeah. like that, right? So it's not really, I think it's a fake, it's a fake flexibility in it because you're just, you're just, you're, you're just changing your scale that you're looking at, but the whole right. item that you're looking at is actually becoming more expensive. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm not going to defend Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm just yeah. This is this is just the thinking in the background. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah. The, so a lot of people are thinking that um, the the libertarian thinking is moving into the metaverse, and they want they want things that are, um, with the distributed autonomous organizations, the DAOs, and the the metaverse, we're going to be able to create a set of rules that govern things. So a bank itself then in that line of thinking gets replaced with, um, with a few algorithms. And, um, and then of course, nothing can go wrong. Uh, but, but of course things go wrong all the time. And so that that's part of the problem that we're going to run into is uh, uh, kind of managing the conflict that arises out of that. So, um, yeah, I, I've been studying a lot of how this is evolving and it's, um, it's exciting and scary and um, disturbing all at the same time. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm quite, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm quite, I mean, overall, I think the crypto movement is very positive. Um, it's just, I, mean, I view it more as just like fintech and it's been a very long time since we've had meaningful financial um, innovation right in that space. And, you know, my view, you know, kind of being a laissez-faire capitalist, I don't call myself a, a, a libertarian that may be splitting hairs for some people, but. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, I actually believe that government has a role to play in the adjudication of contracts and defending individual rights. But that's a, you know, that's a whole wormhole to, 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 to dig down. But, um, you know, I really see... You know, financial, you know, finance is heavily regulated always right. and always has been very heavily regulated. And I think that stymies the amount of insta, uh, innovation that can happen in financial services. So the fact that crypto is coming in here and disrupting that and actually creating all this innovation in financial services, like I'm, I'm quite positive on, you know, and of course, look, nothing, nothing ever goes 
fully according to plan, right? I mean, you know, the future is is by definition unknowable. So things will go wrong. And the question is, can you devise a system that is flexible enough and decentralized enough such that it can react, learn learn from the mistakes, you know, kind of mitigate the um, mitigate the the negative fallout and kind of move on, right? You take that, you take the failure, turn it into turn it into knowledge, and then build something better on top of it. So I've been pretty, I'm pretty. Um, uh, what's right? Well, yeah, I'm pretty positive on the crypto space in general, and kind of, you know, I wish it all the, uh, you know, all the success in the world. But like the real irony of what's going on in crypto and you know, and these, you know, di- you know, these you know, DAOs, right, the distributed uh, um, autonomous organizations, is like we're really just recreating banks <laughs> in, in a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, we're really just creating these um, sense say the world centralized entities um in financial services um that are finding ways to accrue profits which is i think is great like i i mean i think you need the profit motive in order to 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 actually create stuff in the world um so um it's just interesting what is going on in in the crypto space it started off as a lot of you know a lot of kind of political theory um but it's really morphing into something very similar to what we have today in just a, in a better form. You know, I think, I think we're getting innovation there. So. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think it still has the advantage of the fact that uh, Janet Yellen can't just decide to print uh, twice as many Bitcoin tomorrow. So uh, you you may have your compunctions with a deflationary currency and, and issues with the fact that there's still a lot of centralization in the network, but it, it does have that. I mean, it's just cryptographically secured. You can't do anything else with it. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I do as well. I, I'm curious as to what you would want to see in a, a crypto asset in a, in a digital money. So if you don't like the deflationary aspect of Bitcoin, um, you want to see it more responsive, but presumably you don't want any centralized authority who can just mint more to pay for their own projects. So, I mean, what, what would you want to see? Like Bitcoin 2.0, how would you set about doing it? in broad strokes? I mean, yeah, and Brasher. I mean, I'm not. Um, I'm not an expert here, right. so um, I hope your viewers don't skewer me uh, <laughs> for this. But I'm sure. I'm sure the the Bitcoin maximalists will find a way to skewer me anyway. Um, <laughs> that's just the that's the fun part. It's it's the out. nature of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't want to get. I can if you want. I mean, really get into kind of what you know. You really have to ask yourself like, what is money, right? Because are you what are you trying to design like what do you what problem are you trying to solve with crypto like let's just take a step back and right you could look at what let's go back to the bitcoin white paper in 2008 you know satoshi was trying to solve something pretty specific it was a payment system right he wanted a trustless electronic payment platform that's right. that's my read of what of what it is you know kind of everything above and beyond that that we hear today is really just that right it's all above and beyond that have been that people are kind of either designing on top of the original Bitcoin or, you know, just kind of making up, you know, or holding or wishing that it is the case in their view. So, you know, Bitcoin as a payment platform, um, you know, I think has some good things and some bad things, right? I mean, I think the good thing about the payment platform itself is that it's decentralized, doesn't, you know, doesn't require, you know, doesn't you know? Doesn't require um, any authority to be involved or verification, right? It's all it's got a nice, you know, kind of um, very elegant incentive scheme in there to keep things in, in check. You know the, 
you know, the downside is that it's very slow, right? As a payment system, right? Like think about, you know, how many, how many, th think about how many payments, you know, uh, you know, Bitcoin can do, you know, a second versus Visa, right? Like Visa can do like something like, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of transactions a second, right? Where Bitcoin just, just literally can't do that. Does and that's not. the nature of that as, as, as a, as a payment system. So, you know, I think that's a, that's an impediment. I don't want to say it's a flaw, but you know, maybe you just use it for something else, right? Maybe you're not using it to buy pizza. Maybe you're using it to send, you know, uh, you know, your, your down payment, right, on your mortgage or something like that. So, so Bitcoin is a is a payment platform. You know, similar to like how like Ethereum is a is a different type of it's solving a different type of problem, right? So, neither in my view are money, right? What is money in my view? I mean, that is a that is a work in progress for me that's somewhat differentiated you know like, like i said i'm kind of exploring this on my on my on my own show um and really i see money as really you know if we if we, if we take a step back and you say what is money right so if, if if we're looking to if we're looking to design digital money right let's just be let's be specific here you have to say okay well what is money and we could go back and like the classic definitions of money are, uh, you know, exchange, uh, medium of exchange, store value, kind of monetary standard and, um, and unit of account, right? Now, that was, I think that was written in like 1885. That mm. if you look at how that definition has evolved over time, like you could ask, I think you go on the street and you ask four, four different people what money is, you're going to get four different answers, right? Because we can, that has completely evolved over time um, to what money means. And you know, people, you know, whether it's a store of value, whether, you know, it's, um, you know, well, anyway, so, you know, you know, so some people store value, some people, it's a medium exchange, some people think it's just something that the government prints, right, right, some people think there's the, the whole fiscal theory of money, you know, sure. the government gives, you know, kind of gives it le legitimacy, you know, to me, strip it all down, right, there's really only one of that called big four, Um kind of sub definitions in there that makes sense to me. And it's the uh, standard unit of value, right? So like, I kind of hold this in my view is in an analogy form, like money is to length as dollar is to inch, right? So money is a measurement concept, right? We use money to measure economic value, just like we use length to measure kind of spatial value, right? Or we measure time to, me well, I don't know how you would <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, you know, abstract time away, but like, you know, to measure time, you know, the passage of that thing we call time, right? So money really is just a, it's just a way to measure stuff, right? It's to measure the production, right? If we go back to, you know, if you want to do a thought experiment, like let's, let, let's put ourselves on, you know, as, you know, kind of a deserted island, like, like, like on a farm, let's say, right? So let's say I have nothing, right? Like I literally have nothing, right? I have to make my own stuff in the world, right? So let's say I go out and I, I plant some crops, don't matter, you know, let's, let's not worry about kind of how that happened. And now like I have all these, let's just call it corn, like I have all this corn, right? I have these, you know, bushels and bushels of corn, right? Well, you know, I don't want to eat all those bushels of corn. I want to trade that, right? Mm -hmm. So how do I trade that? You know, there's the barter system, but also now I can, I can go out and like, you know, we, we, we could use something, swap it for something called currency, and then I could trade it, you know, with, 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 with you guys, right, for stuff that I want. But how do we measure? But in order to do that, we need some kind of 
way to measure that, right? How do I me- how do I know what I'm going to get from you is good for me, and what you're going to get for me is good for you, right? There is a we have to measure that value, even if it's just to ourselves. We have to have a way of measuring that, and that to me is the concept of money. So instead of thinking, oh, I've got ten bushels of ten bushels of of, of corn that I could trade, right? Ten bushels of corn on my personal balance sheet, I could just say, oh, I have a, a you know a thousand dollars. You know, don't don't. I have no clue what the uh, what the corn uh, bushel uh, exchange rate is, so don't quote me on that. You know, but now I can now hold what what money does as a measurement concept. It allows me to hold to know what my production is worth, right? It allows me to measure that value, know what it's worth, and know what then I can go trade for it with. So I see money as this measurement concept, right? So if we want to have a measurement, a new measurement concept. It has to have, in my view, it has to be like the bushel of hay, right? Or the corn, right? It has to have some correspondence to reality. That's why I think the gold standard actually worked, um, you know, to, to the degree that it did, is that, you know, we're not all gold. I'm not a gold miner. You know, very few people mine gold. But you realize you have a sense for what it takes to mine gold. You have right. a a sense for you need a mind, you need all this stuff, you need the scientific knowledge, right? So you know that gold, right? An ounce of gold represents a certain amount of real world effort. And that you could trade for that effort. You could trade your effort for that effort because someone else sees, knows that that's effort and will trade for that effort. And that's the whole, that's kind of how I see money. I separate, I separate out, separate out all these con, all these other definitions of money as completely different concepts. Excuse me. So I'll say, you know, like I won't. So here, here like, like here, like here's a good example. Like, is a, like what is money? Right? Is is a dollar bill money? Like most people will be like, oh yeah, dollar, you know, dollar bills money, right? What about checks? Like are checks money? Yeah, you know, write your check. Like that's money. Like, what about credit cards? Like, is that money? Well, I don't know. Like, I have a limit on my, on my, I have a, you know, a, an account limit on, on my credit card. Like, what's money? Like, all of it, um, some of it. I right. go and I swipe it, you know, I'll buy something from you, but like, I'm not paying you anything. It's a, it's a debt that I owe the credit card company. Oh, so now debt is money. Oh, what about bonds? Are bonds money? They're like, no, bonds aren't money. Like, how could bonds be money? They're like, oh, well, now if you look at the institutional, uh, you know, money market world, like bonds are money. People use bonds to exchange bonds and lending. Like it, it plays a role of currency in, in the institutional world. So what I've started, oh, what about gold? Is gold money, right? I mean, so I've subs- I've just shrunk my definition of money to the standard unit of account. And now I call those other things, other things. Like I call dollar bills, currency, I, I'll call like even credit card transactions, currency, you know, I'll call gold, like, I'm not calling that currency, right? Because I can't buy anything with gold, right? right? But I can, I call that a store of value, right? I can store, I can buy gold, and it can store value for me. And, you know, at one point, gold is even a monetary standard of itself, right? Gold had that monetary standard rule, right? The dollar was worth X amount of ounces of gold. So I just started to strip, I just started to kind of subdivide all these you know, separate all these kind of definitions of money to keep them very specific. So I know how I'm using them in my brain. So if we want to talk about, I'm just, I'm sorry, this is super long winded way of coming (laughs) back to answer your question. But if we want to talk about like, what is a good cryptocurrency? What is a good crypto money? Well, okay. To me, it would have to be something that has some, you know, bears some, some, um, 
some uh, uh, has some bearing in reality. So like even Bitcoin wouldn't be that bad to me because again, you have to produce it, even if it's quote unquote wasteful, like you need to use electricity, you need processing power, you need people to solve problems. Yeah, It just needs to be able to expand with the production capabilities of the world. I don't know how you, I don't know how you do that, right? Because, you know, like people, it's the, the you know, product world economic production is incredibly dynamic and definitely impossible to, to measure. So, so let me pose a question to you. Um, I, I came up to you and I was gonna sell you the official NFT of a hundred dollar bill. So, so you would have the official version and you could, um, uh, presumably go out and get a trademark on that official version of the $100 bill. Is that worth anything? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, a, keep in mind, it's, it's, an, a, it's an NFT. It's not. The, yeah. I mean, well, you know what, you know, anything may, we may not be thinking the same thing of anything to me is non-zero. Right. Okay. So like there is, you know, you know, as, as an old kind of bond salesman, I, I, I used to work with, you know, used to say there are no bad bonds, just bad prices. Right. So would I be willing to pay a penny for that NFT? Like, I don't know, like one cent, like maybe like, like, why not? Like to me, like maybe there's some kind of option, you know, there's an, an embedded option value in it, even though like it's most likely in my view, again, not an expert in the field, but I'm pretty skeptical of NFTs. Like what you just said, like, I can't see that having a lot of potential i see that most likely going to zero in my sort of own estimation but you know one you know maybe you know maybe there's some sort of you know op, you know there's some option value in there you know maybe i can sell to you for two pennies or yeah. you know for, so, or someone else yeah so if we had uh money that's backed by gold if it was nfts of gold <laughs> would that be the same thing <laughs> Uh, I don't, I mean, again, uh, not really super tight on my knowledge of NFTs, but I'd be pretty skeptical of that again, from what I do know. About commodity NFTs, backed yeah. NFTs are the future. Yeah. Commodity backed JPEGs of, of monkeys. Yeah, exactly. It's, right. It's because it, we live in a cartoon universe. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a great uh, good metaphor. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you, you've written a little bit about NFTs and the metaverse. And uh, I think it's fair to say that, your response is a lot like your response to Bitcoin. I mean, it's not that you think there's nothing there, but possibly you're a little underwhelmed. So I think one of your most recent posts was about this topic and it's kind of in the news that everyone's sort of going nuts about it. So why don't you just walk us through your reaction to NFTs in the metaverse? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I wrote that article because I heard everyone was talking about the metaverse. You know, I had a, a guest on my podcast whom, whom I really uh, respect that guy, Hugh Henry, he was talking about the metaverse. I was like, you know what? I used to just, I used to just kind of write it off as kind of like tech bros speak, you know, like, okay, like, like, like I've had enough of that already, you know, <laughs> but you know, it's just kind of like everything else I find, you know, there's, you know, that's, that was, uh, that was an overreaction, right? There seems like there's, there's, there is, there is something there that people are getting, getting excited about. And like, so I had to kind of just go, just go see what it is. Right. So I did. Uh, and again, that's uh, that's an article uh, I written uh, like two months ago, uh, uh, two months ago, right? So in July, and um, yeah, so I mean, this is you know, if anything, you know, I think you'll see consistent thinking kind of from me is that I have to understand what it is, and then I have to understand if it has utility value, and if it or if it has momentum value, 
And then I have to calibrate kind of my conviction to my position size, right? That's, that's sort of my investment framework. That's the way how I think about investing these days. Um, sounds very simple. It's very, for me, it's very difficult to actually do. Uh, and it's a, definitely a work in progress. So, you know, so again, it's like, what is the metaverse, right? So we have to already start, you know, and people get very excited about the metaverse. Everything is going to be in the metaverse, the metaverse, this, the metaverse, that, right? So like, what is the metaverse, right? Like you have to go and like, look, like what is the metaverse? And at least what I can tell is like the metaverse is just basically like a virtual world. It's basically like, basically like the worlds of or lands of like a video game, right? It's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's an online living environment. Okay. Well, that sounds a lot less intimidating than the metaverse. So, you know, you kind of look, okay, like what, when people say the metaverse, like, what do they really mean? Um, and what I found from my research is that, you know, really, you know, kind of Fortnite, you know, that popular video, video game Fortnite is sort of like the largest quasi metaverse. Like there's no real metaverse per se, where we all are living in avatars and kind of living in this virtual world. Um, kind of all on our own, like people are logging on to Fortnite and they're, they're playing, they're playing the video game, right? And they're doing, um, but they're doing more than just playing the video game, right? They're actually, it is evolved with this whole social experience where they're meeting with friends to chat and hang out. You know, there's actually now like virtual, virtual concerts on there. So it's becoming a whole kind of, um, whole kind of experience onto itself, right? Um, and now there are other metaverses that are, are that are popping up as well who are trying to capitalize on this. One of them that I found is called like Decentraland, um, which is based off of, um, that's kind of runoff of cryptocurrencies. Um, and that is not owned per se, but that is very interesting that there that actually has a digital economy, right? So the whole purpose of, of Decentraland is kind of, is purely economic in a sense, whereas Fortnite is social gameplay like the central land, they're actually selling kind of virtual spaces of land, um, you know, using a native cryptocurrency. They're using a native uh, NFT to kind of record the record the rights to it. And the idea is that people are going to come in here, like spend actual money, you know, real world money converted into into the crypto native cryptocurrency and use that in this economy to actually start trading stuff and building stuff. Um, so like people are building architecture, they're building casinos and games. And I guess, you know, I have not kind of parked, I do not have an avatar in Decentral World. Do not try and find <laughs> me there, you know, integrating investor Seth or anything like that. Uh, I'm not there, but, um, you know, you look at it and like these like parcels of digital land are actually trading and people are buying them and selling them. And you look at something like Fortnite, Fortnite has something like 350 million users, you know, that, or accounts, right? That's not users per se, sure. but, you know, that's a lot of potential customers. And you think about how big the advertising world is and, and the, and that there is an economy for eyeballs. I mean, social, you know, Facebook, Instagram, network TV. I mean, these, you know, you know Google, like this is all, they're in the business of eyeballs. Like, well, that's so there seems like there's a lot of potential eyeballs in the metaverse. So I understand why certain people are getting, excited about it because to me it could be another avenue um you know commercial opportunity that is more akin how i understand it to like that advertising world than to maybe you know living in a virtual world you know you know we're all we're all gonna wake up and you know plug into the matrix like neo 
you know, wake up in the morning, kind of plug into work, you know, plug into the metaverse and the end of the day kind of plug out or maybe even stay there. Like, I don't, like that to me seems a little bit too sci-fi for me um, for a variety of reasons, but you know, this metaverse idea, I mean, it doesn't exist now, but you know, I were so again, kind of breaking things down. I don't see it yet as having this huge value component. Like the, to me, like it's small again, right? So you just size the trade appropriately. Um, but, you know, it's kind of, there's interest. It's not zero in my view, right? Like there's, I, I understand why certain people are getting excited about it and the utility that certain people are seeing in it. Um, again, it's, it's very analogous to cryptocurrency. It's I, some people I think are just, I disagree with my calibration of the value. I is different than what other people see in it. Right. Um, so just to kind of take a step back, given everything that's happening with central banks, with crypto, with NFTs and the metaverse, uh, all of these new technologies coming online, this new resurgence of interest in Austrian economics and private money, do you have any, I don't want to say the word predictions, because uh, you're not really in the business of that, but do you have any just general thoughts on the future of finance and maybe fintech more generally, if you want to take it in that direction? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I like to, um, like, I'm, I'm, I'm lazy, right? This is kind of what, what drew, I got drawn into philosophy. Um, and then it sounds like really dry and dull and, and, and boring. Uh, but for me personally, like I was very, very influenced by the works of Ayn Rand, mm-hmm. um, and her philosophy. And, you know, she has a, she has a, an, an article called philosophy who needs it. And this mm-hmm. was a speech she gave to the, um, to the students of uh, the graduating class at West Point. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's, there's a line in there that just like struck me over the head, like an anvil, like, like, you know, like wildy coyote, just the anvil falling off the freaking, you know, Canyon Ridge and just flattened, like, you know, smashed my head into a pancake. And it was, I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm going to butcher it. I apologize to everyone out there. Um, but basically it's something like, look, as a human being, like we don't have a choice. Like you need a philosophy in life, right? Your philosophy. Now I'm going off. I'm going on, you know, analogy here. Like your philosophy is basically the operating system for your brain. Like as humans, like we we have choices. Like a human being by nature, we have choices, and our philosophies, whether we know it or not, are really what drive those choices. And you know, she said she said it totally different, way more eloquently. Right. And, and I was just like, oh damn, like, don't I, I don't know why I'm doing certain things. Like, don't <laughs> I want to figure that out? Right. right like, that right. seems important. Like I should know the operating system that my brain is running on. Like, I want to know what premises are in my brain. So this took me down this, this whole, this, this took me into philosophy. And what I learned from philosophy is the power of, of, of the power of concepts and the power of principles. And really like, if you have a well-formed principle, it sounds so simple in life, but it's extremely powerful, right? Because it's it is a principle because it has such wide, um, you know, wide explanatory power. So, to go to bring it back to, to your question, right? So, where do I see the future of finance? Like, I have a principle that I think is well grounded in history and and reality, and that is that the freer an economy is the more prosperous it'll be, the freer an industry is, the more prosperous it'll be, the more innovation, the better humanity will be for it. So my prediction is pretty simple. The freer that that financial services world will be, right? If we reduce regulations, 
or can work around regulations, which is really what cryptocurrency is. And even the whole shadow banking system, and that's a whole separate topic out there too. But even, even the current monetary system has largely moved has largely moved away from central banks. So the further we can get away from central centralized authorities, right? Centralized regulation, centralized rules, and into a, a more decentralized laissez-faire world, I think the more prosperous we're going to be um, as a society and the more prosperous an industry would be, right? So for me, it's not, it's not coincidental that finance is such a staid and boring and kind of like terrible industry, like terrible user experience of an industry right. versus technology, which is like the exact opposite, mm-hmm. right? Like finance is very heavily regulated. Like um, uh, technology is very lightly regulated. So if we can move finance more in the world of, you know, in, in the direction of, of technology, I think you're going to see very exciting things out of the finance space and same with money, right? If we, if we got rid of, um, you know, um, if we had laissez-faire money, I think you'd see really, really stable money in the long run and very kind of an innovative money, like things that I, you know, no, you know, I'm just simpleton. Like there's no way I could come up with like <laughs> what kind of innovation in money and finance would, would be made. Like I would have never seen Bitcoin come, you know, um, so blockchain technology coming, right? Like that's, 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 you know, I'm way, I'm way too, uh, I'm not, I'm not that smart, but <laughs> you could see why, why you could see why the innovation of financial services came with a tech angle to it. It came with a tech angle to it because those, it was free, right? It was able, that was an area of the economy that was less regulated, able to actually experiment and tinker with, and then actually get an edge in on financial services to where the financial services today are threatened. You know, they're to some extent threatened, right? And where they're like, well, I guess we have to start like innovating things, right? Like an innovation can't be like, open nine to five. Oh, and sometimes on Saturdays, like, right. no, like you need to, right. Like you need to always be on, you need to have electronic payments. Like you need to, you need to make people be making people's lives better. And the more kind of the freer, you know, the financial services are like laissez-faire, less regulated and all that, like the better off, you know, the better that it will be, you know, the better those goods and services will be the more safe our monetary and economic systems will be. And like the better off, like we'll all be as, as, as humans. Well, fantastic. We really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your perspectives with us. Yeah, it was a blast. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Great insight there. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.